Somebody ought to go ahead and praise him a little bit higher. Come on, somebody in the building tonight. You ought to look every trouble in the face and let it know I'm going higher. Hey! Somebody with some determination ought to let the enemy know tonight you tried to bring me down, but I'm going a little bit higher tonight. The word of the Lord tells me that he made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You might have come in here down tonight, but I feel some getting up strength. Rejoice not against me, oh my enemy, for when I fall, I'm going higher. When I fall, I'm going higher. Somebody ought to double down on the devil tonight and just give God an extra praise. I know it's Tuesday night, but you ought to take about 30 seconds and just give him a shout of praise in this place. I know it's the middle of the week, but you ought to give God the glory in this place. Yes! Give him a shout of praise in this place. 
my God, I came to declare. reminding somebody about the God that you serve you serve a God that looked at one man and said your enemy prepared a gallows to hang you and what he didn't know while he was building the weapon to take you out it's the very weapon I'm gonna use to destroy him with Somebody in the building, no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. God's going to turn it around. God's going to turn it around. That's why I can shout in the face of adversity. Somebody give him a praise tonight. Somebody give him a praise tonight. Hallelujah. One prophet was hired to curse God's people. But the Bible says uh, that every time he opened his mouth, uh, instead of a curse, uh, God made him bless the people of God. Uh, And when the king came to him, uh, he said, what's the matter with you? Uh, I paid you uh, to curse them. Uh, He said, I'm trying to do it. uh, But every time I open my mouth, uh, the Lord just keeps blessing them. I want to tell somebody tonight, uh, I don't care what they're saying about you. uh, When it comes out of their mouth, uh, God's going to turn it uh, into a blessing uh, over your life. Uh, Let them talk. uh, Let them say it. uh, Let them open their mouth. uh, You give God the praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody came to have church on a Tuesday night. I said somebody came to church, have church on Tuesday. Glory, glory, glory. Turn and tell somebody my God's undefeated. And because my God's undefeated, I'm unstoppable. I just need 200 radical people that believe it tonight. Uh, I said because my God's undefeated, uh, that means I'm uns... Anybody taking dominion in the year of blessing tonight? I know we're only three days in, but is there anybody uh, that's already getting everything uh, that God said you could? Whoa! My God, Sunday morning we baptized Sister Carrie Ann in Jesus' name.
Came out of the water speaking in tongues. How many of you thank God for what he's doing in her life? Monday, we baptized Samuel in Jesus' name. Came out of the water speaking in tongues as God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Come on, we ought to rejoice over that tonight. Then Monday, we baptized Thaphne in Jesus' name. Uh, she came out of the water speaking in tongues uh, and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then right before church, Brother Leo, we baptized Luke in Jesus' name. Uh, came out of the water speaking in tongues. Hey, there's no telling what could happen in this place uh, before we leave tonight. Amen. I'm telling you, I got a text message. I think it was day before yesterday. Uh, if they want to share it and associate themselves with it later, they can. But somebody, God's just been unfolding things, text me and said, Bishop, I just got called into my boss's office and they wrote me a $5,000 bonus check. I think it was on Monday. Uh, the year of blessing. See, if y'all had some faith in your life, you'd start rejoicing with them that rejoice. Because, baby, if God did it for him, I'm standing in the same line. And it's just a matter of time before it's my blessing. If you ought to shout like it was your bonus tonight, you ought to shout like it was your break. Come on, it's on the way, 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 it's on the way. I know we got concrete floors, but somebody ought to shout a hole up in that floor tonight. And how many of you remember he's able to do exceeding abundantly? above everything you can ask or think according to his riches and glory. Woo. I five about six people on the way to your seat tell him he's able, he's able, he's able, he's able. My God, it feels, it, it's combustible in this place tonight. My God, it's flammable, it's highly flammable in the building tonight. There's a lot of faith in the building tonight. There's a lot of Holy Ghost in the building tonight. My God, somebody better be careful you don't set it off up in here tonight. Somebody better be careful not to set it off up in the building tonight, baby. Hey, don't you know you're not supposed to act like this on a Tuesday night? Don't you know you're not supposed to have church like this on a Tuesday? church at the same level uh, that I did last year. Uh, I'm turning it up a notch. Uh, I'm not going to let the first Tuesday of the year uh, just slide by me tonight. Uh, I came to get everything uh, that God said uh, belonged to me. Uh, I came to get everything. 
anything. study tonight about holiness uh, but I feel miracle power in the building tonight you can have what you need right now in the building uh, God can heal you in the blink of an eye uh, God can do a miracle uh, in just a moment tonight uh, God can heal your body uh, in just somebody right now ought to lift your hands there's healing in the room right now uh, Somebody ought to lift your hands. There's healing in the room, right? Right Glory. 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 Whoa. Clap your hands one more time in the presence of the Lord. Welcome all of our guests and visitors to the house of the Lord tonight. Y'all came to the wildest church in the, in the city on Tuesday night. Come on, make some noise for all of our guests in the building tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. It is so good to see some of the saints of God from the Bradenton Church here tonight. Calvary Apostolic Church. Let's give God a praise for them. God bless you all. So excited to have them in the house of the Lord. And man, it's good to see Brother Justin and Brother Cornelius here with us tonight. All the way from Birmingham, Alabama. Give them a great big hand tonight. Somebody say January 29th. January 29th is the fifth Sunday of the month. So you know what time it is. Friends and family day. Amen. January 29th will be friends and family day. We are going to make an effort this year like we have never made before to push every potential person we can get our hands in into the house of the Lord on friends and family day. And it's going to be awesome, awesome, awesome. Pastor Caleb Adams will be with us all the way from Memphis, Tennessee. It's going to be a great time in the Holy Ghost. Make plans. Start inviting all your friends to that service. Amen. And uh, God's going to be doing something great. Anybody thankful tonight? You're just thankful. One person said, what would happen? If you woke up tomorrow and the only thing you had left in your life is what you were thankful for today. 
I got a lot to be thankful for tonight. I said, I got a lot to be thankful for tonight. Anybody else just thankful to be in the house of the Lord, serving God in your right mind, delivered, full of the Holy Ghost, blessed by God. Anybody thankful tonight? Amen. It's so good to see some, some of the saints making it home from yonder countries. All the holiday travel, we're glad God kept his hand on you and and uh, anybody ready for the word of the Lord tonight? Now look, there's so much power in this place. We could dump the clutch, do a wheelie, and land in a 360 slide tonight. But how many, how many ready to just break open the word of the Lord tonight? Is that all right? We love to shout, love to dance. And, 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 and I'll dance with the best of them. Matter of fact, if you think you're going to out-shout and out-dance me, you got another thing coming. Where's Brother Keith? Where's Brother Keith at? There he is. I don't care how much younger you are than me, how much bigger I am than you, I'll do whatever I got to do to keep up with you. You hear me? You ain't gonna, You ain't going to leave me in the dust. I put some Ben Gay on my on my ankles. I put a knee brace on if I got to. Uh, I take some Advil, uh, drink some carrot juice, uh, take some extra vitamin B, uh, whatever it is, baby. You ain't gonna leave me. You ain't gonna leave me behind, baby. Turn to tell somebody you ain't leaving me behind. You ain't leaving me behind. Hallelujah. Don't push me. I'll, I'll break out in a fit tonight. I'll start shouting right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. But when all the shouting's done, when all the excitement is done, our lives have to be founded on the Word of God. Amen, somebody. Our worship has to be in spirit and in truth. Amen. And so along with the great excitement and the exuberance of Holy Ghost fire, we want to be diligent in our walk with God to understand the scriptures and to build our life on God's word so that when the enemy comes, Jesus said he hath found no place in me no vacancy in my life for the enemy because it's full of truth it's full of the word of God amen and we've been endeavoring to do that from for many weeks now we have been in the middle of a series on holiness has anybody been just eating up the word of God in these lessons amen and I want to continue tonight uh, with this series uh if you've been around here for a number of years, uh, you'll realize that we are rolling out a lot more lessons than before. It's because some of them lessons I would teach for two hours. And, uh, and some of y'all ought to shout that I decided to turn them into two lessons instead of one. <laughs> Unless y'all want me to preach for two hours tonight, I mean, I could... 
Y'all going to hell on a scholarship for lying. Amen. But I, I do want to be mindful of the time. And so we've, we've taken some of these lessons and, and broken them out. And, uh, and I'm excited tonight to get into the word of God. Amen. Anybody got some discipline in your spirit tonight to dig into God's word? Amen. We uh, are in the middle of these lessons. And tonight, I, I'm going to do it a little bit different. I'm not going to read a text. I'm going to give you my subject and I'm going to let you be seated and then I'm just going to begin teaching. Is that all right tonight? And uh, a few weeks ago, I taught a lesson called Standards. Anybody remember that? And, uh, and, and we have been getting into some of these things concerning outward holiness. Now, if you have not been here for these lessons, again, I highly encourage you to go back into the archives. You can go on YouTube. You can go on SoundCloud. You can go on to the podcast. You can order. I think you could still order CDs in the bookstore. Uh, I don't know if they do MP3s or not. I think we're fresh out of uh, cassettes, eight tracks, and vinyl records. I, I think we're out of those. But go back and listen to these lessons many times. Get the word of the Lord in your heart. And, uh, they are, they are laid out in a way that is sequential to build a foundation of understanding so that when we get to these lessons, uh, you've got some understanding to help you apply what we're teaching. Amen, somebody. Amen. And so tonight, my lesson title is The Great Cover-Up. The Great Cover-Up. Anybody ready for the word of the Lord tonight? Amen. If you promise to teach with me, you may be seated. The phrase, the beauty of holiness, is mentioned frequently in the word of God. It's a phrase that over the course of these lessons, we have heard many, many times. This phrase refers to the glory of something that is more beautiful than anything that could ever be made with human hands. The Bible also tells us that uh, we are to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The word beauty here is the Hebrew word adara or Hadara, which means decoration, beauty, or honor. It is the feminine form of the word Hadar, and it means magnificence, ornament, or splendor, comeliness, excellency, glorious, glory, goodly, honor, or majesty. And the word obviously refers to the splendor and the magnificence and the majesty of God. God said, be ye holy for I am holy. And so as part of the law of first reference, when we talk about the beauty of holiness, it is first referencing the glory and the majesty of our God. And according to scripture, the splendor of God is, 
is to be an ornament about us. After having been dealt the disheartening blow of death and deprivation, it is condemnation that gives the quick reality view of our own nakedness. Doesn't take long to reach for the prettiest leaves that we can find in hope of dressing up the ugly creature in the mirror. Adam and Eve created in perfection in the garden, but upon their disobedience and the breaking of their covenant, the glory of God no longer recognized in their life, they begin to reach for anything they could to replace the glory and the covering of God that was on them. It wasn't that they were naked. They were covered by the glory of God. It was that their disobedience brought them to a place of nakedness and uncoveredness. And so it is the first place we find humanity struggling with their appearance and doing something, anything they can to cover what they perceived as inadequacy. Ugliness is not about a bad complexion or acne or a hairstyle or a weight problem or wrinkled skin. Our outward blemishes and unsightly marks that make us feel inferior are only the bells and whistles that give credence to inward torment. Nevertheless, God's salvation and glory are given to restore his beauty to us. The Holy Ghost is given to bring back the splendor of his image to our life. It is his signature etched in pure gold written for all of the world to see. This is what the psalmist meant in Psalm chapter 50 and verse 2 when he said, Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. If you want to know the gold standard of beauty, it is not found in Glamour magazine. It is not found at the cosmetic station in Macy's or Dillard's. It cannot be found in the walkways of the fashion industries or the runways of the designer clothing store. If you want to know what perfection, if you want to know what real beauty is, you will find it in Zion. You will find it shining forth uh, from the church uh, of the living God. Uh, if you want to see real beauty, uh, look around you uh, at the glory of God uh, that emanates from people uh, who have been filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, whose beauty has been restored uh, as they are delivered from sin uh, and their righteous, glorious uh, covering uh, has been brought back to their life. And so, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. The church is the place from which God's beauty is to emanate from. 
unobstructed, uncovered, unaltered. <clears throat> and so the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 50 and verse number 2, or Psalm 96 rather, verses 5 through 6, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty, somebody shout beauty, are in his sanctuary. Where can you find real beauty? You will find it in his sanctuary. You understand tonight that he was not referring to the building located at 940 Tarpon Street when he said the sanctuary. But what he was referring to is what the Apostle Paul describes to us in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which ye have of God and ye are not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body. Glorify God. Glorify God in your body and your spirit which belong to God. It is the will of God that his glory, the true definition of beauty and majesty and splendor, that it emanates from Holy Ghost-filled people's lives. That it does not just something that is down on the inside, but it reflects outwardly. It emanates for the rest of the world to see. Can I get a witness in the building? And so we understand that our body becomes his temple after we've received the Holy Ghost. And I believe that these verses give us the necessary understanding of the true meaning of beauty and how God uses us to reflect it. You see, this was the downfall of Satan in heaven. He was created with precious stones. You can read it. When you get home tonight, he was created out of fine uh, carbuncles and, and, and all of the different precious stones that were designed to reflect the glory of God. But when he got twisted in his mind and wanted himself to be the attraction, himself uh, to be the source of beauty, uh, that is when he got in trouble with God. And so it is today uh, that if we are going to be pleasing to God, the beauty is not about us. It is not about us glorifying our bodies. It is not about us glorifying ourselves. But it is living in such a 
way uh, that the glory of God is reflected uh, through us uh, to the rest of the world. Uh, that the glory of God through the Holy Ghost uh, is seen by the rest uh, of the world. Uh, and when they see us, uh, they don't see uh, how beautiful we are. Uh, they don't look at us uh, and take notice of our flesh, uh, but they take notice uh, of the glory uh, of God. Tell your neighbor, uh, it's not about you. Uh, it's about him. And there is a word that is used throughout scripture that is contrary to the word beauty. Many people feel like it is related and similar, but in actuality, it is the antithesis of beauty. And how many of you understand that our definition of beauty and God's definition of beauty are two different things. But this word in scripture that runs counter to the beauty of holiness is the word vanity. Job said in Job chapter 15 in verse number 31, he said, let not him that is deceived, trust in vanity. For vanity shall be his recompense. There is a price to pay for vanity. The word vanity here means desolating evil, as in destructive, literally, to ruin something or to morally corrupt something, especially guile. Figuratively, it can mean uh, or be applied to idolatry as false or subjective or useless. Also, adverbally, it can be used to describe something that is in vain, something that is false, that is a lie, that is vanity. And so according to the Bible, vanity is a sign of desolation, of immorality, of idolatry, of deception, or a feeling of uselessness. And of course, we understand that vanity doesn't mean that it's a sign of all of these things, but it is always a sign that at least one of them exists. Simply put, vanity is a lie. It is a false mask. The presence of sin in a person's life is what perpetuates shame. No sin, no shame. But when sin enters the life of humanity, perpetuates shame. Sin is the natural upshot of man's disobedience. And any disobedience is a moral violation of God's truth, of his righteousness. It is idolatry and it is vanity. Anything but to say it is the mask of vanity 
that is a mask of shame. And so if we say that vanity is a mask of shame, then the veil of truth is holiness. David said it like this when he wrote Psalms chapter 4 and verse 2. He said, O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? This doesn't mean like trying to lease a house. This word leasing means a falsehood, an untruth. He said, how long will you love vanity and seek after things that are a false representation of my glory? Without question, you're taking notes, write this down tonight. Without question, shame and vanity are directly linked. When Adam and Eve put on those fig leaves to cover their nakedness and in effect their sin, it was an outward sign of their shame. Nonetheless, their attempt to hide just as it is today was futile. Those fig leaves were insufficient. They were a false mask, a false covering. And as such, it was what God called vanity. God said, you've got to remove the vanity if I'm going to cover you. Take your vanity off and I will cover you with my glory. So we see that the opposite of God's beauty is man's vanity. Are you with me tonight? Psalms chapter 24, verses 3 through 5 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This verse makes it very clear to us that the whole issue isn't even about looking good. It's about shame. It's about insecurities. It's about the impurities that are in our heart. And so the similarities and comparisons between shame and vanity cannot be ignored in Scripture. Even worse than Adam and Eve, we were destitute of God's glory from birth. They were born under the auspices of God's glory. We were born under the auspices of iniquity. We were born in sin, shapen in iniquity. One writer said, in sin did my mother conceive me. We had no choice but to be vain because of the sinful nature 
that is in our DNA. Yet there is something so much greater than the vain and the sinful nature in which we are encased. It is the fact that we do not have to remain under this condition. To be hidden, disguised, or camouflaged from the rest of the world. It is the will of God that we become the sons of God and that we become bearers of his glory. Paul gave a short but powerful dissertation on this subject in Romans chapter number 8. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared, listen, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature. Now I need, to, I need to get you to see this. I'm, I'm building a foundation, but don't miss this. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. What this means is that humanity, fallen humanity that is caught in the bondage of vanity waiteth in expectation for the sons of God who are the sons of God those who are ultimately baptized in Jesus name and filled with the Holy Ghost all of humanity waits in expectation for the sons of God why to be revealed because here's what happens? For the creature was made subject to vanity. Humanity, through the sin of Adam and Eve, was made subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You have to understand that when the enemy wants to convince you that you're some weirdo out here in the world that doesn't make any sense and you don't fit in, the word of God declares that all of humanity is waiting in expectation for the sons of God to be filled with the Holy Ghost and to begin to emanate the glory of God. Why? Because it is a testimony to them that they also uh, can come out from underneath uh, the bondage uh, of sin uh, and vanity uh, that is in their life uh, into the glorious liberty uh, of the children uh, of God. Against our will, he said, we became captive or subject to vanity. Now let's look at the word manifestation for a moment. In, the, in, in this scripture, it means disclosure. And the word disclosure in the American Heritage Dictionary means to expose to view, to make known, 
The creature which was made subject to vanity is waiting or looking for the sons of God to be exposed to view or made known when those being made subject to vanity see the beauty of God through those that have been delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. They are given hope. When you receive the Holy Ghost and those fig leaves come off of your life. Uh, the same covering uh, that the world says you have to have uh, if you're going to be normal. Uh, if you're going to you got to have this. Uh, when you get the Holy Ghost uh, and the fig leaves come off uh, and the bondage of vanity is removed uh, then the glory of God uh, is made visible uh, to those people are around that are around you uh, and they begin to see uh, that there's hope uh, for their life. I'm so excited. Sister Thailand's home. Come here, Sister Thailand, as quick as you can. Sister Thailand, how long have you been living for God now, honey? A year and a half. And if you haven't yet, you need to hear her testimony. And not too long ago, she posted a testimony with some pictures of, of what she used to look like and the lifestyle that she was involved in. And just a couple of weeks ago, she made a trip back to the town that she grew up in. Uh, and you know what? When she got there, uh, they didn't see the same Thailin uh, that they saw when she left there. Uh, the last time they saw her, uh, she was covered in fig leaves. Uh, the last time they saw her, uh, she was in the bondage uh, of vanity. Uh, but you know what happened? Uh, the glory of God uh, delivered her. Uh, and so God said, you don't need uh, all of that stuff. Uh, I've got something more beautiful. Uh, I've got something more powerful. Uh, and when she walked back into that city, uh, those people uh, had been waiting in expectation. Uh, and when they saw the glory of God, uh, they said, oh my God, uh, if he did that for you, uh, maybe he can do it for me. Uh, she started teaching Bible studies uh, and they baptized them in Jesus name uh, and they got the Holy Ghost. Uh, that's the power uh, of living uh, a holy uh, life. Uh, it's not about rules uh, and regulations. Uh, it's about a revelation uh, concerning the glory uh, of God in your life. God wants to deliver us from the bondage of vanity, a fake glory, a fake covering, a contrived version of beauty that can never compare to the Holy Ghost and its beauty in our life. Hallelujah. It's been the same lie. I'm stopped right here for a moment. It's been the same lie of the devil from the Garden of Eden. You're not good enough. That's what led humanity into sin from the beginning. And if you break it all down, it's almost the same tactic. It's why young men and young ladies end up backsliding. Because somewhere they are listening to a snake in the garden that's trying to convince them you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. Nobody likes you. You're ugly. You don't fit in. You're never going to... Oh! 
You better get a revelation that that's nothing but the enemy trying to get you to forfeit the glory of God. That said the devil is a liar. There is nothing that man can manufacture that comes even close to the beauty of holiness. There is nothing the world can manufacture that even comes close to the beauty of God's glory. You can't paint it on. You can't spray it on. You can't mark it on. You can't tattoo it on. It's the glory of God emanating from his temple. Now let's take a look at the principle connected with vanity. What is the principle of vanity? Get for me Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. I want you to see this tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. It says, this I say therefore... And testify in the Lord that henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Listen to this. In the vanity of their mind. One of the principles of vanity is that it starts in the inner man. The same way that holiness starts in the inner man. Vanity doesn't begin with the way you look. It begins with how you perceive God and yourself. And so if you're going to break the curse of vanity, you first have to go to battle with the thoughts that the enemy has got you to believe about yourself. You first have to go to war with the enemy concerning the standards of beauty that he has lied to you about and placed in your mind. And you've got to get a new reference point in your mind concerning what holiness and what beauty is. I refuse to let people uh, that are in bondage on their way to hell uh, define to me uh, what beauty is. Uh, I refuse uh, to let a fashion world uh, my God, somebody better hear me. Do you understand that what they say is beautiful today will be different six months from now and different a year from now and different a year? Why? Because they're chasing something that does not exist. If you start a lie, you got to keep on lying. But when you get a revelation of God's holiness and God's beauty in your mind and in your spirit, baby, it'll show up on the outside uh, and you'll never be pressured again uh, you'll never feel pressure again uh, to conform uh, to the world don't conform uh, be ye not uh, conformed uh, to this world uh, but be ye transformed uh, by uh, the renewing uh, of your uh, mind One of the principles of vanity is that it starts in the mind. Next verse. Having the understanding darkened. Listen to that. The enemy wants to put a cloud over your understanding of beauty. Make it hard for you to see truth. Make it hard for you to see clearly 
what real beauty is. Being alienated from the life of God. You know what that tells me? Is that at one time they were walking in a life with God. But the goal of the enemy is to alienate you. Through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. He's dealing with the inner man. Next verse. Who being past feeling. Oh God. Don't ever let me get past feeling. God, don't ever let me push you away so much uh, that I get past being able to feel uh, after you. Don't ever let me get to the place, oh God, uh, where I can't be convicted by your word, uh, where I can't be touched uh, with the preaching of your word, uh, where conviction uh, can't reach me any uh, longer. Uh, come on, somebody. Uh, he said they uh, are past uh, feeling. Why? Uh, having given themselves over uh, to lack lasciviousness I want you to understand the connection here because it starts out as vanity in the mind remember vanity is a false mask false representation once the enemy gets you to believe in a counterfeit it outs itself as lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Next verse. Now see, let me, let me clarify that because when you think greedy, you think, well, I'm not greedy. I don't take stuff from No, no, no. Sometimes greediness is just doing things your way all the time. But ye have not so learned Christ. Next verse. If so be that ye have learned him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Next verse. That ye put off. Take it off. Concerning the former conversation of the old man. Conversation comes from the thought. It's first a thought before it's a word. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you get rid uh, of the deception from the heart, uh, then your speech changes. Uh, how you talk about things. Uh, put off uh, concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according uh, to the deceitful lust. Next verse. Uh, stay in front of me just a little bit. Uh, and be renewed. That's a key to living for God, saint. You can't just pray through once and hope you make it all the way to heaven. You live in a corrupt world full of corrupt influence, full of voices that lie to you, full of things that want to deceive you. If you're going to make it to heaven, you've got to renew your mind in the Holy Ghost. you got to keep on praying in the Holy Ghost. That's why you can't keep missing church services. That's why you can't keep missing your walk with God every day. That's why you can't bail out on altar services. Why? Because it's detrimental that you renew your mind in the Holy Ghost that means there's an expiration your mind is not saved 
mind is carnal. And the only way you live for God is if you keep that carnal mind in subjection to the Holy Ghost. And so it's got to be a daily renewing of your mind and your thoughts. That's why you can't just put in your mind all the junk of this world and not expect it to have an effect on your heart. You keep putting the wrong stuff in your heart and your mind. There's no wonder you're having some of the struggles you are living for God. The stuff you're reading, the stuff you're watching, the stuff you're listening to, there's no reason why you're starting to question is this even necessary? Is this even right? It's Eve in the garden uh, listening uh, to the wrong voice uh, that is convincing her uh, is it even necessary uh, to live like this uh, I came to preach to somebody uh, you've got to renew uh, your mind that's why you gotta get I know we're not preaching about this tonight but I'm gonna throw it in here that's why you gotta get that television out of your house that pipeline of anti-God out of your mind and your spirit. That's why you better delete some of that stuff that's in your iTunes playlist. That pipeline spewing those lyrics of sensuality and godlessness. What's it doing? I'll tell you what it's doing. It's trying to corrupt the glory of God that's in your mind. You better get rid of some of them books that you've been reading that want to. Oh, come on. I'm preaching to somebody that want to lead you down roads of thought uh, that are immoral, that are impure. Uh, what are you doing? Uh, I'm protecting uh, the glory of God in my mind. Next verse. And that she put on the new man. Get those leaves off you. Get that junk off. I don't need what the world has for me. Get that junk out of here. I don't need anything. You can't improve on God's perfection. You can't improve on God's beauty. You can't improve. You know what you need to put on? You need to put on the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Vanity is a lying attempt to reproduce and subvert the glory of God. Amen, somebody. So, got to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Put on the new man. The American Heritage Dictionary defines the word vanity. This isn't a Bible dictionary. This is the American Heritage Dictionary, and it defines vanity as, listen, excessive pride in one's appearance or accomplishments. The fact or quality of being Useless or ineffective. Futility. Something that is vain, futile, or worthless. Comes from a place feeling not good enough. 
So, it defines it as a vanity case or a dressing table called a vanity. Hmm. Are you with me? I'm shifting gears now a little bit. Have you ever wondered why they call that little thing a vanity case? Or a compact? Oh, Lord, it got quiet up in here. Now, listen, I'm not preaching against you keeping a mirror in your purse. Please keep one in your purse. It makes you good. But it doesn't need anything inside of it to cover up God's glory. It's designed to look at it and say, I'm not, I'm not, I gotta, how many times have you heard a woman say, I've got to fix myself? Who told you you were broken? I've got to put on my face. What's wrong with the one that God gave you? Isn't it something that they call the table where it has a big mirror that a woman spends a lot of time in front of a vanity? Because if you're not careful, you can obsess an idea that you're not good enough. Come on, somebody. And that is what the American Heritage Dictionary defines as vanity. Vanity is the spirit and principle behind the things we use to cover our insecurities and manifest our lust and pride. Let me stop here tonight to say a couple of things that will put us in the proper frame of reference for this topic. There's three things here I want to mention. If you're taking notes, write them down. Number one, allow me to reiterate the fact that God is not trying to take things away from us that make us feel better about the appearance of our flesh. Indeed, he wants us to rid our lives of them, but not for that reason. He wants to reestablish the purity and sanctity of the original state of man by covering us with his beauty and not the world's vanity. Anything the world produces is a false replica. It is a false representation of the authentic and real glory and beauty of God. Number two, when we substitute masks for our appearance, we are in essence saying that God's glory doesn't do the job. Vanity is for people who don't have the glory of God upon their life. Thirdly, we are about to see that every time the Bible speaks of cosmetics, which is one of the outward symbols of vanity, it is in reference to
to evil women. For instance, one Old Testament verse says, and when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out of the window. One transliteration when it says that she painted her face, it literally says, most other transliterations say she put on eyeliner. If you look at the original etymology, it literally means fair colors, glistering paint, dye, especially for the eyes. She was painting and making herself up to seduce Jehu so that he would not kill her. This is the law of first reference. These are the associations we find in Scripture. I don't have time to dive into it tonight. I had the privilege of spending some time in Egypt, which in Scripture is a type of the world. God called his people out of Egypt, out of their culture. But makeup has its roots in North Africa, in Egyptian culture. And so, when we think about Jezebel, she's killed here in, I think it's 2 Kings chapter number 9. But why do we still find the scripture referencing her all the way in the book of Revelation? You go and study it tonight, you'll find that the Bible says in one place that all the kings of the earth were cast into the bed of Jezebel. Because even though her physical body died, the spirit of Jezebel is alive today. What is the spirit of Jezebel? It is a spirit, number one, of rebellion that usurps authority through seduction. This is... One of the primary references that we find in Scripture. Then you can read over in Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 30. Listen to what it says. When thou art spoiled, what will thou do? This is God speaking to Israel. Now, let, let me give you some context. You understand that Israel struggled at times in their walk with God. And even though God brought them out of idolatry and he brought them out of Egypt, there were times that, that their hearts were turned back to idols. And God would use language concerning harlots when he talked about them turning back to Egypt. It was like a man who had a wife that would then turn and have a relationship with a harlot, which was a prostitute or a whore. And so this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking in that context to Israel. And here's what he says. When thou art spoiled, what wilt thou do? Though thou clothest thyself with crimson, though thou deckest thee with ornaments of gold, though thou rentest thy face with painting, in vain 
shalt thou make thyself fair. Thy lovers will despise thee. They will seek thy life. You know what he was saying? He said, you're dressing in all of the sensual matter. You're painting your face to entice a lover because you think you're going to find real love outside of me. But he said, when they're done, your lovers will hate you. When you're done, they're going to try to kill you. It's a fatal attraction because vanity is always a false representation of the real thing. When you look up that word lovers, you know that in scripture there's more than one word used for the word love. You've got the word agape, which describes the love of God for people. You've got the word phylos, which means brotherly love. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But then there is a word used for love in scripture that is the lowest form, the most base shallow form of love called erotic or, or eros, where we get the word erotic from or erotica, which deals with the sensual physicality. And that's the word used in this scripture. He says, you are dressing yourself up, but thy lovers, the people that you have this erotic attraction to, going to be disappointed and in the end they're going to seek your life they're going to try to kill you and in case you aren't a believer yet there are more passages that describe Israel in a state of seduction and adultery everywhere you find vanity the word thy lovers depict harlotry and adultery It's not coincidental that both of these scriptures tie together three things. If you're taking note, you'll always find these three things together. Vanity, harlotry, and face-altering paint or makeup. They're always found together in scripture. Ezekiel writes it again like this. Are you with me tonight? Ezekiel chapter 23 and verse 40, he says this. Furthermore, that ye have sent for men to come from far, unto whom a messenger was sent, and lo, they came, for whom thou did wash thyself. I got to stop myself because I almost went hood to translate, but y'all ain't ready for that translation. They were putting out a call for somebody to come. And he said, you got all ready for them. You took yourself a a good bath. Listen, you paintedest thy eyes and decadest thyself with ornaments. You got dressed up like a hooker to get ready for that person you invited to come on over to the house. This is the context every time you find painting body, painting the face, painting the eyes. This is the context that scripture ties to it. Again, Israel is described in the same way that Jeremiah described her. We define this character principle by saying it is the evidence of lasciviousness. Listen, the outward appearance is simply a picture of what is in Solomon 
gave a vivid description of this very appearance when he talked about the strange woman. In Proverbs chapter 6. When he's talking about a strange woman, he's talking about a woman who is a harlot. She just sleeps around with, with men. And here's what Solomon, the wisest man ever born, said. He talks about protecting ourselves from her. He instructs us in the scripture to stay within the commandments of God. Telling us that if you'll just obey scripture, you will not fall prey to her subtle traps for you. He says that the commandment of God is a light unto us. And then he says to be open to reproof, to keep you from the evil woman. When we get to the place that we begin to reject correction and reproof, when we get to the place that we can sit in a service like this and reject corrective or reproof word from God, we make ourselves subject to the trap of the harlot. It's one of the ways that Solomon warns the young man. He said, don't you get above reproof and correction because you're going to need that in your life because there's, there's something about the attraction of the harlot that will seduce you and try to reel you in. And the moment you reject reproof, you're cutting off the safety mechanisms that are going to keep you from the evil woman. And then look how he describes her. He goes on to say, I don't know if they can find this. He says this, lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. She got her eyes all painted up. She got them eyelashes on fleek. Because the eyes are the point of seduction. eyes he said don't let her take you with her eyes he's warning concerning her eyes are painted up seductive he said for by means of a whorish woman a man is brought to a piece of bread I could preach on that for a minute. Because the enemy is steadily studying you until he can find what attracts you. Until he can finally find the vulnerable part of your life. Young lady, you better hear me. You think it's a young man who just happens to know exactly what you need. But he's actually a tool of the devil who has been given assignment. He's been giving, he's been given secret intelligence on you because the enemy's been studying your vulnerabilities uh, and the young man has the key. Uh, if you'll talk to her just like this, if you'll approach her in just this kind of a way, if you'll just say it like this, if you'll just show up over here or over there, uh, you'll have a chance. Young man, he said the Horace woman leads 
him to a piece of bread. She uses his appetite to set a trap. Why do you think they use the terms in, in the world? They're talking about sexual impropriety, being thirsty. Sensual, physical desire. The whore leadeth him to a piece of bread. She's got you like a wild animal coming to the bait. And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. The Holy Ghost right here. There's some young people, some young adults. You better recognize the value of the anointing that's in your life. You are a target to hell. If you were not so valuable, the devil would not be trying to get at you like he is. If you weren't so valuable in your anointing, uh, he would not be working overtime uh, to hunt. He's not interested in just any soul. Uh, the enemy is after the precious uh, soul. He's after a world changer. Uh, he's after a difference maker. Uh, he's after somebody uh, who God's hand is on them. Uh, he's after the one uh, that's got the anointing of God that's on their life. Uh, oh, I know we're, we're preaching about uh, cosmetics and covering, but you better see how all of this uh, is intertwined. Uh, the next time the enemy uh, wants to tempt you, to put something on your face or try to tell you that you don't look attractive that you're ugly and you need something to spice it up you better remember that there's more going on than what meets the eye that it's not just something in the physical but there is a battle happening in the spirit world to take you out and what you think is beauty and love is nothing but a plan for the lover to take thy life. It's nothing but a plan of the enemy to destroy you and wipe you out before you can ever fulfill the plan of God for your life. It's no coincidence that he is alluding to her eyelids and indicating that she had done something to them to make her appear seductive. I know we seem to be talking about makeup or cosmetics in this lesson tonight, but in essence, we aren't. What we are talking about is vanity as well as the shame and nakedness that people attempt to cover in futility. We must remember that when we don't have a categorical answer, which in this case we actually do. The Bible is very clear, very specific. But when we don't have a categorical answer, then we live by principle. I'm going to say that again. We live by principle. Vanity is an attitude that causes the heart to be willingly ignorant of the beauty of God's holiness. 
can't be overlooked that according to the Bible, vanity is always accompanied by lust and promiscuity. Can a person be lustful and promiscuous without these masks? Of course. But we cannot overlook the principle that just because some people are professional hypocrites, So as we continue in this process, growing into the holiness of God, it is your desire to please God. Listen to me. It is your desire to please God that will bring understanding. But carnality will block the spirit of true holiness and cause you to live In correlation with this principle, we also know that there has been a tremendous assault on our society against women. Are you hearing me, young ladies? There's an assault from society on women wanting to tell you that you're not good enough. The goal of the fashion and entertainment industry is to exploit the women's the woman's body because they understand that the man is naturally motivated by sight. And so the whole world has been lured into a shallow pool of self-indulgence and the worship of the flesh, especially nudity. An article in People's Magazine some years ago contained an interview with actress Cindy Crawford. Anybody remember who Cindy Crawford was? She stated in the interview that she really did not feel worthy to wear the title of supermodel because she didn't feel that she was any prettier than the average woman. Her feelings were honest and not feelings of insecurity or false humility. She said that the reason for this, listen, was because of the talent of the makeup artists. They can make anyone look sexy, she said. For those who think that this is a far-fetched idea or a cultish rule, you should know that this is common knowledge in the fashion world. If the world did not think that makeup makes a woman look sexy, they wouldn't wear it. I was in Brazil a few years ago. And missionary Raul Alviar Jr. was taking me through the city and talking about spiritual warfare in Brazil and the different dynamics that they face. And we went to satanic uh, worship sites where they openly, Satanism is wide open, and witchcraft and driving by. And one of the things that they face is, is the, the prostitution there is, is, is on another level. And so we were driving through part of the city and we passed by and we saw some, some ladies on the street. They, they, they didn't look any kind of a way. They just, and he said, these ladies are all prostitutes. Those are the normal prostitutes. And I said, wow, I would have never known. I mean, they just look like normal ladies. He said, yeah, this is the, the district. He said, but they're separated into certain sections. 
He said, I'm going to drive you over to here to this other section. And we drove to the other section. And now you saw the ladies that we would think, these are the Las Vegas strip looking, you know, prostitutes and the mini skirts and the high heels. And, the, and I said, oh, yeah, you can tell those are prostitutes. He said, yeah, those are, those, are, those are a different level of prostitutes than the other ones. He said, but I'm going to take you to the most popular prostitutes of all. He drove to another section. When we turned the corner, these were like million-dollar prostitutes. They, they looked like they walked off the front of a magazine. I mean, they looked completely out of context for the sitting on the edge side of the street. And, and, and to, to, to the natural eye, I said, these women are unbel have unbelievable beauty. And he said, they're all men. I said, whoa. <laughs> this is the power of the witchcraft of vanity. The emulation and falsehood of vanity. You better be careful what you think you're getting. Because in the world, nothing is the way it appears. You young lady who's looking to the world, uh, trying to make a decision, uh, if something out there you're missing out on, uh, you better think twice. Uh, because everything the devil puts in the window uh, is nothing uh, but a fabricated uh, lie. Uh, you're not missing out uh, on anything. Uh, I just need some people that have been delivered from the world uh, to take a moment and help me preach uh, that there's nothing in the world uh, that even compares. Uh, I know you've never been outside of the church uh, and you grew up in church uh, your whole life, uh, but you let better let the Holy Ghost uh, give you a revelation tonight. Uh, don't you trade your virtue uh, and the truth of God in your life uh, for a vanity, uh, a falsehood, a false promise there's nothing in the world that can give you joy like the Holy Ghost there's nothing that can bring you happiness like the kingdom of God the pleasure of sin is only for a season and then it's heartache and it's despair and it's fear and it's anxiety and it's disappointment and it's depression but in his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures are you looking for pleasure you'll never find pleasure like being in the presence of God it's a falsehood it's fake it's not real it's not legitimate it's a lie from the devil uh, trying to compete uh, with the glory of God. Uh, it's a lie from hell uh, telling you it's better uh, than the real thing. Uh, it's better than what God has for you. Uh, it's better than the king. The devil is uh, a liar. Somebody give him some praise tonight. Come on, somebody. 
give him some praise tonight. I'm trying to hurry, M music, you can come. If we were to get into the meanings of what each part of the makeup represents, it would make us all blush. You understand that makeup is not just applied arbitrarily. Each type of cosmetic application is for a distinct form of allurement and is carefully created for a purpose. And the facets of makeup that are not for seduction are for cover up, which is simply a mask of vanity to cover the things that make us feel insecure. I don't have time to get into all of it. Makeup, lip outliners, gloss and color. What is it designed to do to create a voluptuous, sensual, sexual look? You think they call the makeup that goes here blush on accident? It's designed to make you look like you're blushing, that your blood pressure is racing. I don't have time to get into all of it, but, but do you think it's arbitrary? Again, I said this in, in our last lesson, but Holy Ghost filled people have no business trying to look sexy. All you're saying is that you're trying to attract sex. It's a dysfunction inside of you. It says I don't have what I need. Not fulfilled. And you're looking for love in all the wrong places. So, these cosmetics, a great cover up, designed to cover God's glory with a false representation. Instinctively, men and women struggle with different things. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 11, if you can bring that up. Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting. God deals with men more about their actions and words. And women, he tends to deal with them concerning their appearance. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Listen. With shamefacedness. And that's all I'm going to read from, from that text. Shamefacedness doesn't mean to be ashamed. That's not what that word means. If you look up the original meaning of that word, it has to do with the woman's eyes and the look she creates with men. And it basically has to deal with her using eyes the way an adulteress uses eyes to attract a man. 
So a woman's face should not come off with the appearance of sensuality. Not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Give me one more verse. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. One more verse. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Stand tonight. I'm, I'm coming to a close. God desires for a man to be attracted to a woman with a godly attraction instead of a lustful attraction. For a man, lust comes naturally. For a woman, vanity comes naturally. And when we know this, it's easy to see how lust and vanity are actually tools of Satan to cause men to commit sin against the body. The word cosmetics comes from the same place where we get the word cosmos, world, worldly, cosmopolitan, cosmos, cosmetics. Study it when you get home. The majority of cosmetics, you know where they come from? They come from the Dead Sea. You know what's at the bottom of the Dead Sea? Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't it something that the city, the cities in Scripture that represent vile wickedness, an abominable sexuality is the origin place for the majority of cosmetics. Could it be that the same spirit of that city is trying to keep itself alive and influential in the lives of people? When we live a life every day in the glory of God, we cease to fill a need for the fake vanity of the world. The more you're in his presence covered by his glory, the less you'll feel a need to cover yourself with the false covering of the world. Come on. I tell you what we ought to do tonight. We ought to get out of our seats. <laughs> it's only 927. We've got a few minutes. We ought to get out of our seats tonight and come to this altar with our hands lifted and for just a few moments pray and say, Lord, I want to stand in your glory tonight. God, would you cover me in your glory tonight, Jesus? God, maybe there's some things I've been entertaining in my mind that, that I need you to renew me tonight, Jesus. I need you to wash my thoughts. I need you to wash my mind tonight, God. Let the Holy Ghost rearrange some thoughts and some things. Come on, all over this place. Come on, all over this place. Would you lift your hands? Come on, all over this place. Let's talk to God. Come on. Young lady, you don't need anything on your face. You don't need anything. You don't have to paint stuff on your nails. You don't need anything to make you look shiny. You don't need anything to come on. Come on, the glory of God is your glory, is your shining. 
The glory of God is what makes you attractive. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Come on, I wonder tonight if every young lady in this place would begin to talk to God. I wonder if every man and the young man in this place would begin to talk to God for a few moments. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Come on, yes. Come on, his glory is enough. His glory is sufficient. Come on, somebody pray. Lift your voice and sing it tonight. Come on. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Come on, if that's how you feel tonight, tell it. Holiness is what I need. You've got to be holy. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. Come on, somebody give him praise tonight. Come on, give him praise tonight. Come on, before we leave this Bible study tonight, before we leave his house tonight, let's give him some praise. Let's give him some glory tonight. Ah.